Well, as we begin another lesson on the book of Revelation, I want to recap uh, a few things. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, we thank you for another time that we're able to gather and learn from your Holy Spirit. May he teach us truth from your word. May we gain a better understanding of revelation than when we came in. Lord, we pray your blessing upon us. We ask that you would help us in all that we do now. May we glorify you in thought, word, and deed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Want to look again in chapter 15 and chapter 16 of Revelation. Thinking about it a little bit more, we need to look at it from this standpoint. Chapter 15 is telling you what's going on in heaven and what's about to take place. Chapter 16, then, is telling you what is going to happen on the earth on the heels of what's happened in chapter 15. So, if we had a couple of TV monitors, the one would be tuned to channel 15. The other would be tuned to channel 16. And I would say, devote the first part of your attention to what's happening on the first monitor. And what's happening there is God's final judgment, God's final pouring out of his anger upon mankind is going to be set in motion. There are seven angels involved. There's a, one of the four living creatures is involved. And God, though he doesn't make a direct appearance, definitely makes an indirect appearance. And it's referred to here as the last plagues, and we're told by John that they're referred to as the last plagues because with them, God's anger is completed. And then we have a picture of those saints who have gone to be with the Lord. They're typified here as having harps given them by God, and they're singing the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. So this song is a combined song, similar in fashion to the song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, after God has delivered his people from another great oppressor. Not nearly the great oppressor that this one is. Back then it was only Pharaoh. Here we're talking about Satan and Satan's minions being defeated. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, kings of the earth, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And in that song, we see the works of God, what we might say are the ways of God, and then the worth or the worthiness 
for the worshipfulness of God. Those would be the themes of the song. And then right after that, it says, After this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple. That is, the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. So here they are. They're about to go to earth. And they're given bowls. Again, we're looking at symbolism here. Okay? Wrath is not material. All right? They have a bowl, each of them, filled with the wrath of God. But wrath is not material. Wrath is anger. Okay? Anger you don't pour into a bowl. It's symbolic language that John is using here. And it says here that one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the anger of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. Smoke is symbolic of the glory of God. Think back on Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and the smoke and the train of his robe fills the temple. Think back further all the way to Mount Sinai when the lightning and the smoke attended the presence of God. That's what's going on here again. But they have a job to do. And that job is to bring the final demonstration of God's anger against those who are still existing on planet Earth. There are great lessons in chapter 16, and I want to refer to some of them. So we go right into chapter 16. I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. When we hear that voice over and over and over at different places in the book of Revelation, we begin to understand that that's the voice of God speaking. God is giving the direct and divine order. And now what's going to happen is as this demonstration of wrath is brought to pass, it's very reminiscent, especially to individuals that would be reading this, and many of them would have been from the nation of Israel, Jewish people. It would have been very reminiscent of what was happening to the people of God when they were about to be delivered from Pharaoh himself. Only this time, it would be like this. Instead of God saying to or to Moses, say to Pharaoh, let my people go. It's as if God, by the demonstration of his anger here, is saying to Satan, let my people go. I'm about to destroy you. The first bowl poured out on the land. The ugly festering sores broke out on the people. Who did it break out upon? 
it breaks out, these shores break out upon people who have the mark of the beast. Now, again, what's the mark of the beast and what's not the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast is not some computer chip embedded in your hand or in your forehead. It's nothing like that. The mark of the beast has its opposite in the seal of God. What's the seal of God for the believer? It's the promised Holy Spirit enabling the believer to believe and to continue to believe until God calls that saint, man or woman, into eternity. That's what the mark of God is. What's the mark of the beast? I think simply this, a heart allegiance to anything opposed to God. And in this particular case, it is a willingness to embrace the satanic. That's what we're talking about. And those who have the mark of the beast, God is going to plague them with sores. Literal sores? Again, I don't think there's a whole lot in the book of Revelation that's literal. I think most of what we're dealing with is symbolic language throughout. The second angel pours out his bowl on the sea and it turns the, blood, the sea into blood like that of a dead person. So the seas are going to be consumed and turned into blood. The third plague Fresh water turned into blood. Now again, why is blood being used in a figurative sense here? Again, I don't know that it's necessarily actual. You may have that. You may believe that. You may think that's exactly what's going to happen. Again, I think it's more symbolic language. But part of what's going on here that John wants to impact on his hearers. Again, the book of Revelation is not a book that is necessarily to be read. It is rather one from the get-go, we're told, is going to be read out loud and that you and I are to listen to it. That's in chapter 1. Well, there's a phrase... The phrase is a Latin phrase, and that Latin phrase is lex talionis. And that means the law of retribution in kind. Put another way, in the Mosaic law, it would have been this. Suppose Margaret and I would be arguing about something. And at some point, Margaret is so enraged. Can you picture that for a minute? Everybody look at sweet Margaret and just picture Margaret's totally out of control. And I'm in the house in which she lives and she picks up, you know, a cup and saucer and she takes the saucer and throws it like a frisbee and it hits me in the face and it hits me in the eye and it completely wrecks my eye. The Lex Talionis the law of retribution in kind, would say what? You know it a different way. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So if I plead 
justice. I want justice. She was wrong. She had no business throwing that saucer at me. Sweet little Margaret's not nearly as sweet as you think. She took out my eye. Justice would say, she'll pay with an eye. She'll pay with an eye. And the argument here, in terms of God's wrath, is this. Why am I going to bring blood down upon you? John tells us. Verse 5 of chapter 16. I heard the angel of charge of, in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one. You who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Who's he talking about? Again, we know from the first plague, who are we talking about? Those who have the mark of the beast. Now again, what do we know in terms of numbers? There's 7.5 billion people on earth. What do we know about numbers? We know this. Few are chosen. Few will go through the narrow gate. Many will go along the broad way. Few will build their house upon the rock. Many will build their house upon the sand. So we might say it this way. The ungodly outweigh the godly. Probably by quite a bit. We might say the vast majority, as a matter of fact, I think. When you think about what's going on in the world today, 35% of the people on earth, I think, that's about right in terms of statistics, live in two countries, India and China. I think it's about 30 to 35%. One country is pretty much atheistic, that would be China. One country is very much or, uh, Hindu and other, uh, other religions, other than Christianity. If we believe the Bible, then the Bible says this. If you don't believe in the true God of the Bible, then you believe in a false God. Think about what's going on. They, those who bear the mark of the beast, have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets. Earlier on in the book, in chapter 6, in verses 9 through 11, we read these words. We see a small group, what seems to be a small group, maybe it's a large group, Verse 9 and following, When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. 
those who bore the mark of God and who stood for truth and were killed, martyred because of their stand for truth. Two other places. In the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about the parable of the vineyard. And what's he talking, or who's he talking to? He's talking to the Jewish rulers of the day. And what's the gist of the parable? Well, let's go back and read a little bit of it. That would be in Matthew chapter 20, for those who may be following. And there are our workers. And with each of the workers, or, or rather, um, I'm sorry, I have that confused. There, there's a different parable, and it's the, the parable in which Jesus is saying that over and over, different individuals were sent into the field and they were slaughtered and finally the master sends his own son and they slaughter the son as well and as Jesus is unfolding this with them he makes it crystal clear in a way that they understand that that Jesus is talking about us. And he was. And then later on, in Matthew 23, it's as if he bangs the nail in the coffin and says these words as he's about to be crucified. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, very end of Matthew 23. You who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. You who killed the prophets. See, Cities have always borne names. Sometimes those names have been good. Sometimes those names have been curious. For example, Louisiana is sometimes referred to as the Big Easy. New York, the Big Apple. Philadelphia, oddly at the moment at least, the city of brotherly love where they're about to set a record for number of homicides, number of murders in a year. But imagine if you're Jerusalem and the Son of God says, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets. Who are the prophets? The prophets are individuals that God raised up to speak to his people 
about his truth and have them record his truth to be passed on from one generation to the next generation. You who kill the prophets. What's he saying here? They've shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. God is fed up with the ungodly. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. These plagues aren't happening simply because one day in paradise, one day in glory, one of the living creatures said, hey, let's just cut to the chase and end this thing. Here's some of God's wrath poured out on the earth. Nope. Nor is it because seven angels decided to do that. It's because God, it says, who had control over the plagues, and these people are cursing him, and they refuse to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores. But notice here, they refused to repent of what they had done. Have you ever had a relative that you cared about and you shared with them the gospel and you shared with them the gospel and you shared it again and again and again and they still wouldn't believe and they still wouldn't repent and then one day you heard that they got sick. I mean really sick. And you thought to yourself before you contacted them, I'll bet God's going to get their attention now. I'll bet God's going to get their attention now. I'll bet they're going to become believers. And you pick up the phone, and the conversation goes like this. Hi, Bob, I heard the news. I'm really sorry. But I want you to know that we're praying to God that God heals you. And on the other end, you hear this. You tell your God I don't want to have anything to do with him. If he's going to give me cancer and I'm going to die, he can just go to hell. Have you ever heard a conversation like that? I have. I have. And that's exactly the point that John is making here. Despite the curses that God is bringing down on people, despite his anger being poured out on the earth. What isn't happening is people are not running to him in faith and repentance. It says again here, they cursed the God of heaven because of the pains and their sores, and they refused to repent of what they had done. Didn't matter. They've gone through five plagues now. We're still not budging. 
We hate that God of yours. Don't you even mention him in our house again. Don't you send me any more religious literature. Don't tell me you're praying for me. Don't tell me your church is praying for me. I don't want to have anything to do with your God. That's the picture John is given here to his hearers. Despite God bringing his wrath down upon planet Earth, what's happening? Planet Earth and the people of planet Earth are not repenting in, in, in great quantity. They are, in fact, raising their fist to heaven. We'll have nothing to do with you. And in connection with that, they will be taking out their anger on who? The people of God. The people of God. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its river was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, what's significant of that? If you look on a map and where Euphrates was at that time and, and how it exists today, if Euphrates dries up, what happens? Think of it like this. If there was a battle in the United States, and the dividing line was east and west, and in the middle, there's the Mississippi River, the Missouri and the Mississippi River. And you don't have modern vehicles and so forth. You basically have boats, all right? And, and not like, you know, fast boats. You basically have slow boats. And one side is heavily fortified, and the other side isn't. And the side that isn't fortified, they're just thrilled that the Mississippi and the Missouri River are there. Because they know that for the enemy to get to them, what has to happen? The enemy's got to cross the river. But suppose they wake up one morning and the river's dried up and they see their enemy walking across the mud and the ground, and they're coming. That's the symbolism that he's using here. On the eastern side of Israel, with the Euphrates, if all of a sudden the Euphrates dries up, the great enemies, notably in the past, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and any others, Israel's fair game. And that's the picture. Well, God is bringing to pass the drying up of the Euphrates. And while it looks like this is a good thing for the enemies of God, it's actually God's way of setting a trap to bring the enemies of God together. The other night, when we were talking about what's going on in the world. We're absolutely amazed at the moment that countries that call themselves democracies 
are some of the worst in terms of what's happening around the world at the moment. Australia. Austria. Canada. Going after people. Locking people up. Because they haven't gotten a vaccine. Throwing people in camps. Because they haven't gotten a vaccine. There's craziness happening in the world today, folks. And as I'm thinking about what's happening in the world, I can't help but wonder, is God allowing these things to simply come to pass? In part, at least, to show us the difference? At least in part. To show us who's going to stand for freedom and truth and who isn't? I mean, after all, in these countries, there are laws. The laws are being violated, clearly. We have laws in our land that presently are clearly being violated. We have a Bill of Rights that's clearly being violated in a number of different ways. And it's as if people's eyes are just blind as can be in terms of what is happening. But in asking that question, who's in charge? God is. Who's in charge of this virus? God is. Who's in charge of the climate? God is. And yet, those two things it seems to be the most, that he's allowing certain things to be used for people to just be practicing lawlessness, people, uh, governments going over and being tyrannical against their citizens in ways that we haven't seen in our lifetime. Dan and I are the oldest here. That's just a fact. Dan, have you ever seen anything like this in your lifetime? Never. Never. I mean, every night, you know, when we turn on the TV, we can't believe some of the things that are happening. Never thought they were going to happen like this. But as I've thought about it more and more, I've come to this conclusion. If Jesus is coming again soon, then there are certain things that have to take place. And I'm just wondering if God's bringing them to pass in a lot quicker way than we could have possibly imagined. In ways that we would never have seen coming. And now we're seeing them. And we just can't believe it. Well, the Lord willing, we'll pick up next week and we'll pick up specifically with the impure spirits coming out of the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. What on earth does that mean? We'll be talking about that some more, the Lord willing, next week. Again, for those that are watching, either on, or watching, excuse me, on YouTube or listening on Spotify, we thank you. We have a, a number of other uh, videos and audio selections on um, our channels. So we hope you'll make good use of those, and, and thank you for uh, being here the rest of your. Thank you so much.